Welcome to the Coalition Rendition. I'm Cindy Woods. And I'm Maddie Blair. And we are in the house with Monty Reeve with Friends House Ministries today. Maddie, did you have a good Christmas? I did. I had a great Christmas. How about you? I did. I'm glad it's over, though. Yeah. How about you, Monty? I had a great Christmas. One of the best. Good. Okay. We're going to get started with our show. Uh, We're glad you're here. And uh, Monty's going to tell a little bit of his story and share about Friends House Ministries. So what is Friends House Ministries? Friends House Ministries is actually a class one sober living home for men. There's four classes of uh, sober living homes. It starts with a class four, which would be like uh, a mental health, like our uh, moccasin bin. Then a class three, like Cadus. And then it goes class two, where you'd have in-house doctors, nurses that would dispense drugs. Then a class one, which is the best class or the last class, where men are almost ready to go home, but they still need drug tests. The court wants them to be there, or they need uh, this type of house before a judge would let them out of jail and so forth. So that's the type of class we are. They go back and forth to work, back and forth to meetings, but live at this house. So how long do residents usually stay at friend's house? Well, uh, we don't like to take guys that are not willing to stay six months. It's hard to spend, you know, 10, 15 years in addiction or even six months or year or two in jail and then come out and get acclimated to society just in a week or two so we ask for a minimum of six months but it's it's six months to a year but now we've had we have a couple of guys that's been with us for four years so we do not have a deadline that you just have to get out you get any from re-entry that are coming out of jail that are maybe court ordered or on parole to sober living Yes, yes. Matter of fact, uh, we were asked about two years ago by the sheriff at that time, Sheriff Hammond, to work in reentry. So we go to jail twice a week, teach classes, and then we also go back once a week uh, and interview men and make plans for them. We have two people in our organization that are CPRS. That's the state designation of the mental health department to make plans for people coming out of jail or off the street what they'll do with their with the rest of their lives and so these two guys which i'm one off go to jail once a week and we sit with men for uh, two hours every monday uh and we have a group of anywhere from about four or five to eight or ten guys every monday that we meet with sometimes for as much as six months even before they get out of jail and help them make plans of what to do and how to act where to go when they get out of jail And the guys that you meet with, are these all people who have been affected by addiction? Not necessarily, but I would say, now this, you know, most of the statistics are made up. So this is made up too. Are you saying you made it up, Monty? No. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But but yes, yes, I am. But just from an observation, over 80% of everyone that I meet in jail is in jail of a root cause that started with either alcohol or addiction or some type of drug use. And when I'm in court, I notice most of the cases have that in common. So uh, drug usage or alcohol usage or overusage is prevalent in everything I deal with, yes. I did want to ask what type of substance use disorders you see most often affecting men in our community. Well, that's a sad going to be a sad answer for me because you know i'm the old guy in this outfit and and in this business uh when i first started out 
alcohol and marijuana. And if you wanted something hard, you'd have to go to Chicago or Atlanta. And now it's just changed. You know, when you guys first started, you know, in the coalition, it was basically opioid. But it stopped at uh, hydrocodones, oxycontins, and so on and so forth. And then meth really got prevalent. But now the, uh, the fentanyl. I would say in the last two years, fentanyl has become the drug of choice. And not only the drug of choice for the users, it's become the drug of choice for the seller which you put that combination, the most profitable drug that's ever been made, and you combine that with the most addictive drug that's ever been made, and it's taking over the market, and it's been put in everything, even counterfeited to try to create markets for people that are on other things. They're trying to create, you know, the opioid user like the, the hydrocodone, they're trying to create fentanyl users out of them. Yeah, and the sad part, you were, you just said, like, you would have to go to Chicago or Atlanta to another state maybe to get uh, drugs way back when, and now it's prevalent in our own city, in our own county. It, it is, and it's, and it's, you know, you've heard uh, that the head of a pen can kill you. Can you imagine how hard that is to find that? being taken in here and taken in there into hospital or, or, or any kind of facility. And can you imagine, and, and I'm not going to say all the places, where they hide this stuff? It is unbelievable how hard it is to detect it, how hard it is to find it, and how many ingenious people figure out a way to hide it up their nose and their ears and their personal parts and just take it everywhere. And uh, so it's just, it's spread, spreading like wildfire. Hard to find it, or I guess uh, if you were searching, if they wanted to hide it, it's, it's hard to find, but it's uh, sad but true, but it's not hard to overdose on. No, that's true. And uh, I've stood in front of several judges that's trying to describe it to these young kids that's coming up out there. And the last one I heard was just a great example. And I used it to my wife. We made chocolate chip cookies. And we put chips in there. And then we'd have a chocolate chip come out and we'd mix it up, you know, whatever, and put it in there. And one cookie would come out with five or six chips in it and one would come out with two. And I says, could you imagine if we were putting fentanyl in this mix? If you ate this cookie, You'd drop dead, but if you ate this one, you'd get high. And they said, well, how do they, she, my wife says, well, how do you know which one you're getting? I said, that's the point. You don't. That's a very good illustration there, Monty. Oh, yeah, it's a scary illustration. And, and they're mixing this up. I'm talking about amateurs, not, not uh, pharmacists, you know, like in back rooms and here or there or in barrels and heating it. I mean, it, it's just crazy what's going on out there. Yeah, and even with the fentanyl test strips, which is a great tool to have, but like you talked about with the chocolate chip cookie, it can be hard to detect if it's in there at all. That's true, and but can you detect with that strip whether you have a lethal dose or a let's get high dose? Which Will it detect that? That's a good point, a very good point. Yeah, is it enough to kill you? Uh, something sad I saw over the holidays was a... Uh, 
we had a lady on our show who had lost her son to to that to fentanyl overdose and um this weekend there was a tree that they had put up down at the courthouse and they had put ornaments with uh their lost loved one's face inside the ornaments and the tree was full that was our county that's right our county I spoke at the uh, Mothers Against Fentanyl last meeting. That was a terrible meeting. To get, to, to get in that group, you, you lose a child to fentanyl. And some of the things that happen now, uh, some of them were saying that their child ordered this pill, which maybe they shouldn't have even been ordered, you know, like a Percocet. And then it came in stamped Percocet, and they ended up taking it, and it was fentanyl. And uh, you can get it over the Internet. And some of these things I don't even know about. I've never even been on TikTok one time. I couldn't get on it if I had to. But you can order some of this stuff with certain buzzwords and get it delivered to your front door. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. You mentioned um, about the the families affected and that was another thing i wanted to ask you because we've talked on the show before about how substance use can affect the entire family so i wanted to ask you uh, how have you seen local families impacted by substance use well i've seen mothers and dads broken hearted i've seen them crying i've seen them calling and begging for their child to get in my house and i've talked to their child the child had no interest uh, I've had kids, literally, that I've taken to a hospital, and them saying, you're in kidney failure and you're in liver failure. And they say, I don't care. And they get out and walk out the door. And the mother and dad said, well, why didn't you make them stay there? And I said, I, I can't carry a gun. And they're just determined to get back to it. It's so addictive. They're brokenhearted. But then the average person, am I right that, that there's 2.2 children you know, in every family, is that the national average? But when you take mother, father, and the children, the devastation, and then when the children grow up and the trauma that that brings, our next generation, I'm just wondering where we're headed is, is what I'm actually saying. What, how, how susceptible because of stress and trauma is our next generation going to be? Every time I see something like this, I hear a call to action. Yeah, absolutely a call to action. And I think a lot of that's going to start with prevention. I agree. I agree. Uh, I, I could sit down and write down a dozen ministries that need to start. Just like, honey, you can't take any pill anywhere for any reason from anybody. I've even heard of them putting it in Skittles and gummy bears. Have you heard that? I have. I, we had uh, Terry Topping on our show a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about that. If it doesn't come from a store and you don't open the bag, don't take it. Or you don't get the medicine from a pharmacist, don't take it. I agree. And, and so I don't know this answer, so I'll make it up. How many, how many times do you actually have to take it before you become addicted to it? Two, three, five? They're saying four days now. Okay, four days. And so you setting this class as I do too, but I'm at the age I forget them within a week or two. But uh, can you imagine a group of people that would be trying to put out drugs by that tactic, trying to create addicts so they can make more money? Could you imagine that? But that's happening. Hey, Monty, you know, um, both of us 
and I know you don't mind me saying this, but both of us are in long-term recovery. Right. And um, it wasn't four days for me for the certain uh, drug of choice that I was on or the drug that chose me, however you want to say that. Um, it was instant for that one particular drug. It started out with something else, but when I did that other drug specifically, it didn't take four days. It was instant. It just happened. Well, mine didn't happen that way. Mine started with alcohol. And uh, what I needed was acceptance. Now, and, and, and I can go back and see it. I've been in so many counseling sessions that uh, I ended up chairman of the board of a counseling center. Now, that's not a joke. That is absolutely true. And now I'm still on the board of directors of a counseling center. And uh, I drank to show off in front of my other friends that we were like 13, 14, 15 years old and we were didn't know what we were doing and I became an alcoholic just because I, I needed to be accepted. How did you find recovery? Uh, through the Lord. Uh, actually, I struggled through in and out of different kind of addictions almost all of my life and uh and i think uh i thank the lord for it it's the best thing that ever happened to me is going through those addictions i wouldn't go back and change it because i can now look at somebody and realize they didn't mean to do that they didn't start out saying hey i'm gonna get up and, mm, i'm gonna start this path i'm gonna be an addict within a year or so they didn't start that and i can understand how they can be stupid mistaken and then in denial been there done all that but until I faced 25 years in the federal penitentiary and then until even after that I went through bankruptcy because I didn't solidify my earnings I didn't have a positive plan then I thought I'm going to live up live on the street and I'll have my social security taken away from me and I'll be whipped every day because you know I can't find me get until that happened to me and the Lord was waiting on me at a church to put me in ministry I had no idea uh, he turned it around and he took everything that I did wrong and used it for my education and how would you say your outlook on life has changed since being in recovery well it means uh, the things that I thought were the most valuable were actually the least valuable, and the things that I thought were the least valuable are the most valuable. Uh, I've got a great friend, and everybody in this room probably knows him and taught me there were four currencies, money, time, uh, education, and relationship. His first name is Steve. Hey, y'all hang in there. We'll be back uh, in just a minute with more of Monty Reeves telling his story and talking about Friends House Ministry. You never had Portofino's on Ringgold Road? Give them a try. Got anything, Maddie? No, we're excited to hear more of your story, and thank you for being here with us, Monty. Stay right yeah. there. We'll be right back with more Coalition Rendition. Welcome back to the Coalition Rendition. I'm Cindy. And I'm Maddie. And we have Monty Reeves in the house with us today. Uh, he is with Friends House Ministry. 
He also has his own personal uh, journey of recovery, and it's great to have you here with us. You, that was a good segment on the first one. Thank you. So we've been talking about recovery, and I want to start talking about Friends House Ministries. Um, and specifically, I wanted to ask how you got it started. Well, as a younger man, I was um, in counseling regularly, uh, too much for all of my issues. And um, as I started to uh, recover and get my senses, uh, I started teaching classes uh, at a place called the Lighthouse Counseling Center. We ended up writing a program called AILS, uh, which was uh, anger intervention through life skills for men that abuse women. So I was going to court a long time ago and uh, taking men from jail or from the court and teaching them classes in a counseling center. And then I saw that alcohol and being drunk or high was the main thing that was causing most of the uh, domestic violence. And, uh, and then I saw in that the main problem of reoffending was going back to the same place, the same circumstances that they left with the same friends, the same drug house, you know, and doing the same thing and expecting to get a different result. And I uh, had a friend in the district attorney's office, and we talked a lot. And uh, then I came of the opinion that uh, houses that would house these men, like sober living homes or recovery homes, would uh, short term, would uh, give them a better chance to get by the thing that they were reoffending over and over and over again. And so that planted it in my mind, and then it grew from there. So just seeing the problem of uh, recidivism um, led me to the thought of sober living homes. How many homes do you have right now? I have four right now. Uh, we had three, and we have just recently started a uh, home for veterans. Just happened to be in court uh, testifying uh, that we would take a certain individual from uh, jail if the judge uh, allowed it. And it just happened to be a JAG officer, a colonel that was starting a veterans court in Chattanooga. Heard the testimony, heard what we did, and so on and so forth. And we're a neutral party. We're, we're for the county, we're for the court, and we're for the defendant. We want them to recover uh, and he heard that and when it was over he came and asked us if we would open a house for veterans and it, he didn't know it but we'd already been planning it uh, two guys from the Veterans Association came by two and a half years ago and asked us to so we had been planning that and that kind of pushed us over the edge that that is something that we wanted to do so we do have it open now that's awesome. That that seems like a really big need that you're taking care of with that. It is. Uh, you know, and going through classes, and, and you guys take the same classes, that stress, trauma leads to problems in later life. And it's a fact that uh, veterans have roughly twice the chance of being homeless or overdosing than, than uh, a, a civilian. 
and it's because of the added stresses that some of them have. And so it is a very, very worthy cause. How many, uh, how many men do you house total, Monty? Uh, typically 32, although we have two rooms called emergency rooms. And we use them. We did have one for the coalition. I mean, we're using it for a coalition. The guy stayed there about a month. If they call and need to send somebody to a hospital or need to have a reservation out of town somewhere for him and know where to keep him for a week or two weeks or three weeks, we have two beds set up in a special location that we can house and feed someone uh, that doesn't have a place to go until you get him in that out-of-town place. Are you talking about, when you say out-of-town place, you're talking about going into a treatment facility? Either a treatment facility or a hospital. You know, if a guy's prosthesis or uh, is infected or, you know, whatever, and they have an appointment at a Murfreesboro, Walter Reed, somewhere, you know, and uh, they uh, their explanation, their need for this, if a guy comes in off the street, is sick and needs this, and then he just walks back out the door. Sometimes they never see him again, and they need a place that they can watch over him for a week or two until they get him a place. Now, that's that's a small part of our service. And I read online about the community aspect and how the people at Friends House have a similar mindset, and they're all working towards the same things. How important would you say that is to their recovery? Well, back to those four things that uh, this guy, t Steve, uh, taught me, because he's, he's been on our board of directions. Uh, the four currencies of the world, he says, of course, he's a very educated man, uh, money, time, education, and relationship. And his thing is the one least used is relationship. But I believe, and what I hear in class also, that money is not as important as relationship and making someone feel accepted to, to reduce the trauma effect in their life. And so when we get volunteers to come on that will take someone fishing, take them bowling, uh, come over and fix sandwiches with them and intermingle with them and form a relationship with them and be their friend, that's one of the most effective uh, mechanisms that you could dream of having i can understand that um speaking from a personal experience i always just felt out of place and like i didn't belong so that sense of belonging is very important i think to a recovering addict or alcoholic well i agree and see we take i've taken all those classes back when i was in the counseling center uh, i taught a class called life skills and you're talking about learned behavior and shame-based behavior which is normal there's not anything wrong with that. You're, if you've been through that, you're supposed to feel that. But you can retrain your brain by acceptance and relationship that you are worthy, that you're not that person. You just feel that way. And But you don't feel that way so much now, do you? No, absolutely not. But you see what I mean? But how long did it take? I'm not going to get into analyzing you here. <laughs> but, but that is a big key. And to have someone that's willing to put in the time. So we actually have about five volunteers and, and that I say is actually as valuable or more valuable than our employees. 
that they do this because they want to do this. And see, the people that are in our houses know it. They take them out to lunch, or they'll buy them work boots, or they'll go to the movies with them, or just things like that. And they haven't had that in years. So what kind of program do they have to work? Do, you, do they have to go to a spiritual service or church? Uh, do they have to go to AA meetings? Do they do celebrate recovery? What's their requirement? Well, their requirement is they have to go to two of our meetings a week. One of them's church, and one of them is uh, celebrate recovery. And uh, we don't force any of the faith base down their throat, but they just have to go to the meetings. But what we try to do is model our faith. And if they drink the Kool-Aid, that's wonderful. And if they don't, we don't put them out. In other words, they're not force-fed. You know Joe Smith, right? Very well. Yeah, so he he helped me when I was facing some, doing some time. And he has been an excellent mentor for me. And he taught, and I've said this before on here, but he told me we had to save your butt first, then save your soul. <laughs> <laughs> well, but see, the really truth, that's between you and the Lord. Right. But, but the other truth, the way that we act around you, uh, it, it's, 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 a lot of these old proverbs are very true. A picture's worth a thousand words. We can give you a thousand words, but we can give you the wrong picture, and it just makes us hypocrites, you know? Mm. But if we can model caring and love, it makes what we have valuable. And Joe's very good at that, because, but there's a reason why. It's real. That's just like Mama T. Uh, Teresa Biggs, it's real. If somebody does want to volunteer or help out with Friends House Ministries, how can they connect with you guys? Well, so should I put my uh, office address out right now on this? Go right ahead. All right. You can mail uh, a check to 1835 Clearview Drive, our office, 37421. That's Friends House Ministries, 1835 Clearview Drive, Chattanooga, 37421. Now, we want to start another house. So you could write a monthly check. You could write a great big check. Or uh, you can call me. You think uh, you think it's all right to put my phone number out here? I think it's absolutely fine. All right. It's 423-488-5018. And I think you should just start out saying I'm not crazy. I just want to help. <laughs> so what if they just uh, want to volunteer there? That's exactly what they should say, that they want to volunteer. And I'd say start out coming to our meetings. Uh, we have got uh, one guy that's about to get his degree in psychology and psychiatry, worked at Joe Johnson uh, Crisis Unit. He's going to be teaching uh, evidence-based classes. So we don't want a volunteer to be teaching evidence-based classes to our guys we want them to be friends to our guys but we would love to have a volunteer for every person we have and then we would also like for them to uh bring their whole sunday school class bring their whole organization their uh place where they work uh we would love for them to come in and say hey we're an employer we would uh hire 
eight of these guys at our place uh, on first shift, second shift, whatever. So we get the people that come in jobs, and we help them get back and forth to work. So we need all kind of stuff like that. And like I say, uh, you have you know that we're 100% full most of the time. We need another house. It takes us about three days to fill a house up. Uh, but when we uh, fill a house up, every time we open two houses, we need one more employee. So we need to grow under control. Well, it sounds like you know exactly where you're headed with your uh, ministry there. Well, I hope so. We, we do have a long-term plan. We would like to get about 15 churches involved with us as partners we would like to open up about a half a dozen big women's homes and then uh we would uh, uh like to have a lot of things circled around that and i'd say if things just go perfectly well that would take us about two years to put that together but we want all of the partners put in place we would i'm serious we'd like to have 15 different churches all working with us together on that along with city and county government working with that and we would love to see chattanooga be a city of hope yeah so speaking of county we are with the hamilton county coalition and you can go to our website at hccoalition.org or you can give us a call at 423 Three zero five one four four nine. And since we're talking about the Hamilton County Coalition, how are you partnered? How is your ministry partnered with the Hamilton County Coalition? Well, uh, I'll just use some words that my board says not to do. You guys are nuts. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I have never seen a group of people in one building that worked as hard to help people as in your building, ever, anywhere. I mean, they're on the phone every day, placing them all over the state, all over everywhere. When I don't know how to do it or where to send somebody that really needs big help, I call you guys. Yeah. Bonnie calls us at the Hamilton County Coalition. Again, that number is 423-305-1449. Or go to our website at hccoalition.org. Stay right there. Don't touch that dog. We'll be right back with more Coalition Rendition. Welcome back to the Coalition Rendition. We're in the house today with Monty Reeves. He's, uh, he is the founder of the Friends House Ministry. He has been telling about his personal recovery story and talking about Friends House um, Sober Living for Men. And we're glad to have you in studio with us today. Um, we were talking about earlier you are uh, your partnership with the Hamilton County Coalition. Can you go ahead and talk a little bit more about that? Well, just as a general thing, which is very true, uh, when you have a guy that you need housing for, typically you call me and say, do you have a bed available? And then you have some funding and you pay the first two weeks, month, whatever, and we find the guy a job and hopefully he lives happily, happily ever after. So you use us when you need us. But now on the same token, you have connections everywhere. We have some. You have a lot. If we need somebody like that day that needs to be detoxed and we can't get a place, 
You've got contacts, and we will come and knock on your door literally and say, we need help. We need this person here. We need help there. This person needs to be in a psychiatric ward, or this person needs this or that. And between you guys there, you find places that it's just seemingly impossible. And so your, your asset to us is just invaluable. Uh, you make us actually look good, like you could call us and we get them in. You call, some people call us about things, and we don't have a clue, so we call you. And then the next thing you know, you get actually one of my best friends, fiance, in a place in Crossville, Tennessee, that I had no idea of what we're doing, and now he thinks we helped him. But, in fact, it was the Hamilton County Coalition. So we partner in doing what we do best with each other. Yeah, that's true. I've been there for um, going on 14 months, and it seems like I learn something new every day, learn a new resource or about a new place or a new suburb living. So, yeah, we have a plethora of resources there. Right, and we partner with a lot of people. We partner with the 11th Street group on the kitchen on one side, the counseling center the other. We take people down, help them get their teeth fixed or help them see a doctor. We help them uh, with their family, you know, maybe getting fed on the other side of the street while they're in for a while. Uh, we actually, uh, like I say, partner with the sheriff's department and literally work in the reentry program that they've started at the jail. We work with drug court. We work with mental health court. Now we're going to work with the veterans court. Uh, we work with CADIS. We go over there and speak with their people. We take a lot of their people out of there. We get people in CADIS. So, uh we're into community, but the truth is we want to make the community bigger. We want more churches, more organizations to join in this fight uh, because the truth is the fight's growing. Now, I don't know the statistics. Let's just say we help 50 people a year, and then it seems like 300 new ones come on. And I see the drug addiction growing like crazy and so we need more and more resources and more and more help more and more partners and the drug supply is changing all the time as well so it takes as many community partners as possible in this space to to help out and fight that it does and um it, it's amazing uh when you help one person you think you've helped one person, but that's just not true. You've definitely helped his wife. You've helped his mother and his dad. You've helped his kids, his sister. And when you're looking at a person spreading drugs, it's just like they had coronavirus. They spread it. When you stop one person from using, you don't really know how far that's reached. And the way it's spreading now, every bit we can do helps. And... Uh, and the statistics are there, and they're hard to calculate. How much does, does what we talk about, the homelessness and the drug addiction, add to these help-wanted signs? They're popping up everywhere. There's a lot of small businesses uh, closing up. A lot of them are closing third shift. Where's that going to be in two years? Where's it going to be in five? So this is a very needed thing, even for our economy, for our well-being as a county, as a country. This is something that needs to be addressed head on. Very good information there, Monty. Last week we talked about, um, I know we're, we're wrapping up 
talking about this, but last week we talked about some of the successes that our partners had seen. And so I just wanted to ask you, what, what does success look like to you within Friends House Ministries? Well, when I first started, my success was a guy would come in and uh, get a job, and then he would leave with the job and go back to his family. Now, that's a success. Last year, we had a 67% rate of that. But now that's not my only success. I have seen more people die in the last two years than ever. Our number one goal is for them to stop using dope and them to be alive. And that sounds like a crazy thing. But I got that from the National Statistic Board for Sober Living Homes. Our number one goal is to save lives. It's a good goal to have, and you're, you're doing a lot of that. So we appreciate it, and we appreciate your partnership as well. So, Moni, if you don't mind, can you go ahead and tell uh, the listener, if they need to get a hold of you, how they can do that, your phone number, website, all that? Well, uh, the website would be easy to find if you can remember Friends House Ministries. If you Google that, you're probably going to get three pages worth. Of just find the one that's got www.friendshouseministries.com and go to that, and you'll find ways to connect with us. But you can also uh, write to us, Friends House Ministries, at the office address. We have other houses. We don't take mail at the other houses. We don't get half of it. But at the office, 1835 Clearview Drive, 37421. Or you can call me, and I don't mind taking calls. Although half the time if I'm in jail or in court, I can't take the call, leave your number. But it's 423-488-5018. Or, this is going to be funny, call the coalition and ask them to get a hold of me. That's right. You can call us at the coalition at 423-305-1449 or go to our website, hccoalition.org. Bonnie, we really appreciate you being here today, and uh, I know you can hear that call out there. Thank you. I know where you're fixing to go. Yeah, I do, too. Sit up in that tree stand. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> Best of luck Thank to you. Thank you, Bonnie. All right. Now, with January coming up, I want to talk about dry January. It's a great time to reevaluate your drinking habits. Many people uh, use this month to abstain from alcohol or reduce their alcohol intake. Alcohol is one of the most commonly misused substances in Tennessee. In 2022, alcohol misuse contributed to more than 70,000 alcohol-related ER visits in Tennessee. That's from the Department of Safety and Homeland Security. If you are considering trying dry January this year, we have eight tips from Healthline.com. So the first one is to set goals. Make realistic goals for yourself to set yourself up for success. The second one is to ask for support. We've been talking about that on the show a lot. Um, ask a friend or family member to help keep you accountable. And chances are you have a friend that would be willing to try Jan dry January with you so you can lean on each other for support. Number three is to avoid triggers. You may associate certain activities with drinking, like going to a bar, watching football at a friend's house, and avoiding these act activities can help you abstain from drinking. But that doesn't mean you have to give them up completely. And this goes into point number four, plan for urges. If you will be in a situation that could bring on the urge to drink, make a plan to step outside, take deep breaths, or maybe take a walk around the block, whatever works for you. 
You can also let a friend know if you're feeling overwhelmed and you need extra support. Another idea is to find alternatives. Some people feel more comfortable bringing a non-alcoholic drink with them to events. You can find mocktail recipes online, bring soda with you, anything that makes you feel comfortable in that situation. Number six is to know your no. We've talked about this a lot on the show. What is it, Cindy? What do we say? No means no. No means no. No is a complete sentence. Yes, exactly. And you don't owe an explanation for saying no. Right. Saying no can sometimes feel awkward, but you do not owe anyone an explanation for why you're not drinking. Um, but you may feel more comfortable saying no if you practice what you're going to say beforehand. Number seven is to avoid all or nothing thinking. If you do have a drink, don't give up on your goals for the month. You can still get back on track and try again. Number eight is to keep track of your drinking. There are a lot of apps out there um, that you can use to keep track or you can journal and that can help you set and stick to your goals. Um, if you or a loved one are struggling with an alcohol use disorder, help is available. You can reach the Tennessee Red Line by calling or texting 1-800-889-9789. This is a 24-7-365 confidential referral resource for substance misuse of any kind. You can also reach out to us at the Hamilton County Coalition at 423-305-1449. Our New Start and Life Alone programs can assist you with finding treatment. We've been talking about these programs a little bit with Monty um, and how they work together, but they can provide support for you and help you find a treatment resource and find the one that works best for you. Yeah, so we've talked a lot uh, the past couple of weeks about sober living or people with substance use disorder and maybe that are suffering with alcohol addiction. Um, on a personal note, because we have just a few minutes left here, I think we got about five minutes or four, something like that. Uh, sober living for me, it was great. I hated it at first. I was really, really mad at, we were talking about Joe Smith earlier. I was, I was mad at him, I was mad at the judge. I was mad at myself because I was having to go back there. Um, and I hated it. I didn't want to go. But once I got in there and started participating in the program that they had there, I went to a place called the Hope Society up in Lebanon, Tennessee. And the more I stayed and the more I started um, feeling like I was a part of instead of apart from. And so I just think sober living is fantastic. Now, what's the difference between treatment and sober living? So treatment is where you can go to um, to get a better understanding of yourself come to your senses a little more um i don't know that um sober living is i mean i don't know who made the rule up but sober living could maybe be considered treatment for me it was i think i found more treatment in sober living than i did in actual treatment is it usually a step-by-step -step, like detox treatment sober living yes. is that how some people do it yes yeah, we've talked about men and women's sober living, faith-based, non-faith-based. So there are options out there for everyone. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of options, and everybody has to find their own path to recovery. That's the great thing about it. There are different paths to recovery. Everybody is not the same. Everybody didn't get addicted the same way. Everybody's not going to get sober the same way, and everybody's not going to have the same higher power. And so there's many pathways to recovery. What is the higher power? something greater than myself for me it's God but for other people it may just be something that's uh, 
higher than they are. What they consider and higher. that's an AANA part of the part of the 12 step, right? The higher power? Yeah, that would be AA or NA. Okay. AA leans a little bit more towards the God of our understanding. And I think NA uh, kind of leans more towards your higher power. Okay, gotcha. Well, I, I always appreciate how open you are with your story. Um, was your was your sober living uh, faith-based or non-faith-based? No, it wasn't faith-based, but we did have to attend uh, spiritual services uh, at least one time a week. We had to do eight hours community service. We had to get a job within two weeks. We had to pay our rent. We had to do a tour. We had to go to our house meetings plus do AA or NA meetings outside of that. And then we were responsible for our own counseling and uh, mental health therapy outside of there. Mm. So, how would you say that the community aspect helped your recovery? It, it helped a whole lot because I was one that I like to isolate and stay to myself. But it taught me that there are there are women, and it's okay to be friends with people and trust people. Getting there was the difficult part for me. Mm. But once it happened, I know I have a plethora of friends up there that I could call right now if I needed them. I actually had to call them the other day uh, to help out with somebody that I knew, but. Um, yeah, they're there, and I think uh, sober living's great, and I think you meet a lot of new friends. Actually, they're my sober sisters. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah, we've been talking about the <clears throat> the network that we have in the recovery space. That's so important, um, and we always say at the Hamilton County Coalition that we will not tell you no. If you are dealing with something, we will find the resources to help you with that. Absolutely, Maddie. It's been a great show. It has. I hope you have a wonderful new year. Thank you. You too, Cindy, and everyone listening as well. Yep, that's right. I'm Cindy. And I'm Maddie. And we are the Coalition Rendition, and we are signing Signing off. off.